Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Blood Red Podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today is our full-time Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, it's Paul Ghost. Hi, Paul. Hello, Ian. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, OK, I think. We'll, uh, uh, we'll get into that in a, in a minute, won't we? We will. And also joining me is our Liverpool writer, Theo Squires. Hello, Theo. Hello, Doyle. Yes, and um, um, just in case anybody's not heard, there's been very sad news here at the Echo. Um, we found out yesterday the passing of Dan Kay. You may remember Dan, he was on our podcast for many a time, uh, not just on the Blood Bread podcast, but Alain LaRouge and Poetry in Motion. He, he's somebody I worked with for 20 years, um, and he's very well known around the city uh, for his work, with certainly with the Hillsborough campaign, Justice uh, for Hillsborough, where, and uh, people may have seen the documentary on uh, Anne Williams. He, he, he wrote a, helped write her book, and he was involved in that documentary and the series as well. So uh, yeah, it's not been a... A very happy time and um, we are hoping to do a special podcast uh, looking at Dan and the, the job that he's done and just basically just celebrating his life and that hopefully will come at a, a later time but just before we move on to the podcast you know Ghosty you worked with him for quite a few years yeah. as well yeah. um, <clears throat> I mean obviously it's, it's very shocking sad news but the tributes that have been paid to him you know you, you have to look on social media and we're here in the office and the people everybody that's spoken to him to an absolute person has said what a great guy was what gentle soul and uh, what an influence he's had on the city yeah i mean you, you only had to go on twitter last night and <clears throat> i think r.i.p dan was actually trending at mm. one but wasn't it just the kind Still of outpouring of, yeah just the outpouring of um of sadness really and, and how well loved he was you know we like you mentioned there though he had so many kind of strings to his bow didn't he that and documentary that he was heavily involved in he, he was you know he was almost like a sounding board for that wasn't he because he, he obviously Covered it in great detail and was a huge kind of proponent for Hillsborough justice campaigns, basically prolonging its its willingness to to fight, wasn't it? And um, that was a, an award winning show that he was massively involved in. Did so much great work on our desk. Didn't need so many long reads, and you're still kind of reading them most weeks when they get repubbed. Whether it's about John Aldridge or Craig Johnston or Craig Bellamy, you know, he's written so much. Um, it's just a really, really sad news for, for all of us, wasn't it? Not just on the sports desk, but across the entire Echo this weekend. Um, I have to say, you know, fair play to the news desk for covering it, you know, the death of a, of a much-loved colleague in, in great detail with such professionalism and uh, integrity, because, you know, that would have been difficult for them yesterday. So many people talking about how, how great he was, you know, whether it's Maria Breslin, the Echoes editor, Joe Rimmer, the head of football, who's our boss, isn't he? So, yeah, just just a really sad bit of news to, to hear yesterday. And uh, it was just, you know, when people pass, you see all these things come out, don't you? When people talk about how, how great they were and whatever else. But I don't think anyone was kind of embellishing anything that they said yesterday about Danny. He was just such a loved fella across the board, did so much for everyone. And... It's terrible news and, and he'll be sadly missed. And Theo, one thing Dan certainly was, just seems strange saying was rather than is, is that he's a massive Liverpool fan. 
And while obviously a big fan of the city and he was a champion of Everton in a way, it's as well. He certainly wouldn't have, you know, didn't enjoy seeing them struggling this season, but he was a huge Liverpool fan. And while you didn't work with him quite as long as me and Gorsley did, that you could tell that from just, you know, the way that he was. And he was a, a huge supporter of the club and, and of everything that the club stood for. Yeah, like Dan was Liverpool, he was the echo, he was LFC. He's just a massive patron for this whole city. Uh, he's done so much for the club and the city, for us as journalists, for this organisation we work for. Uh, and he is, it's a huge loss. Like, it was a loss just when he left Reach a few years ago. And it's good that he could still do the long reads or we could still repub the, the long reads so we could keep him around in some form. I know he still did the occasional podcast with uh, Alain Le Rouge. But yeah, he's just someone that was a soundboard for everything. Like if you wanted to write something about Hillsborough, I know John Thomas did this a lot, he would go to Dan. Yeah. If um, me, Gorst, you ever wanted to write something that would maybe predate our time as Liverpool fans, you'd go to Dan because he's got that knowledge. He was that encyclopedia. And while the Everton lads would have Dave Prentice, Dan was that <coughs> Liverpool equivalent. And he was just so passionate. You wouldn't have seen someone prouder of them when they won the Champions League, when they won the Premier League. And he went to so many games and even just on shift you knew how popular he was because his phone was going constantly wasn't it and it was that uh, ringtone the cricket thing and that would go off so many times in shifts to the extent that if he was on a late shift he probably wouldn't get home until like half one in the morning that like, he was there for everyone whatever your, your reasoning for being in touch with him he was so loved and it's touching to see all these tributes to him The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Yeah, and well, as I said before, we'll hopefully do a podcast uh, looking back at Dan and his life and his achievements uh, a bit later on. But we'll, you know, move on to events at Anfield on Saturday, Paul. And uh, Liverpool just about got the job done against Brentford <clears throat> 1 0, Mohamed Salah's goal. Um, just looking at the game overall, do you think, well, basically, do you think Brentford got enough free kicks? <laughs> I was just about to say. You know, free kick to Brentford was yeah. pretty much the story of the game, wasn't it? I, I remember, as we said, actually, this game just feels like it's 90% free kicks at this point. And it was actually a statistic that came out, and I only kind of caught a glimpse of it, but it was something like it's the most, oh, sorry, the least the ball's been in play at Anfield this season just mm. because of, of the stoppages. And strange game, wasn't it? Brentford certainly playing for the yardages and the percentages and, and the free kicks. And, and Klopp said after the game that Brentford, are the, you know, the best team he's ever faced in terms of how they set up their set pieces and, you, and you've seen David Rea taking free kicks from the halfway line and, and all 10 outfield players were packing the box and I think that was a big part of their game plan just you know getting free kicks in certain areas that they felt they could try and hurt Liverpool with the physicality of the likes of, of Tony and well right throughout the team really isn't it they're, they're all the units there but um, Liverpool stood up to it quite well actually I thought Van Dijk had a, a very good game none of the kind of Frailties that we've seen perhaps against Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks ago, certainly in the last 20 25 minutes against Tottenham the week before. Um, so, yeah, another another really decent win. Um, could have been safer, you know, Darwin Nunes could have stuck one away earlier on. Uh, Mo Salah again, we're going to come, come to him a bit later on, aren't we? But yeah, it's just a sense that Liverpool are really getting it going at the moment. I just wonder whether it's going to come too late in the season. Um, six wins in a row, one beating an eight is a really good run of form and if they go unbeaten now for the rest of the season that's going to be what unbeaten in 11 that's form of of champions isn't it really you know that kind of run I just wonder whether they have perhaps left it a few weeks too late to put this kind of run together but 
Um, as a result of going for Liverpool this weekend, it's um, certainly not done yet. Theo, are you old enough to remember Wimbledon of old when they were? Yeah, you know, uh, I always forget how old everybody else is compared to me these days. But you know, when I, when uh, I was watching football, the Wimbledon were seen as a team that you know, as Gorsty said, played the percentages, played way more long ball than than Brentford did. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I saw this comparison and I, it hadn't even crossed my mind that Brentford were like Wimbledon. I just thought Brentford played the game in which they obviously looked at Liverpool's last few games and went, and certainly the game that they played against Liverpool in January, where they did very well off corner. Certainly they scored one off a corner, one or two off a corner. I think it was two off a corner. Or one off a corner, they one off a restart. One off a restart and they had a couple yeah. disallowed as well. So you could tell that Liverpool weren't too too clever with, with what happened there. But do you think that's a bit unfair on Brentford? Just saying they were a big long ball bumping bump it into the box and then just hope for the best because I thought they, you know, tactically they played pretty well against Liverpool Yeah, it's what they've been doing all season long they aren't just set pieces they've got pace they're really good on the counter attack and I think they're a bit more technical than you give them credit for like Ivan Tony, he's come on leaps and bounds hasn't he? since you just initially saw him as a Premier League striker he'll get you like 10-15 goals he's a target man but now he's shown that bit more to his game like the back hill we did for was it in Buemo yeah. he played him down the left that was superb and he did so many of those smart touches. Like, yes, they are a threat at set pieces. They've got a lot of tall players. They've got a lot of physical players. And they will score goals from it. And it has been a problem for Liverpool at times this season. I think Klopp said, was it after the Forest game, that we obviously didn't do enough preparation on the throws? Well, for this one, it, they clearly did do the preparation because they dealt with it for the majority. Like I know Alisson had to make a couple of big saves, but there weren't as many heart-in-mouth moments there. So that, that was a step in the right direction from Liverpool. But when you're still having to have their pace on the counter-attack from Brentford, when they are pressing you hard because they won the ball every second ball, it seemed like Brentford were winning mm. it and just going on the attack again. That's in the fact that was it uh, Thomas Frank came out and said, well, Van Dijk got booked, Fabinho got booked, Canate got yeah. booked, Alisson's time-wasting. That, that time was ridiculous. It wasn't even time-wasting at all. 28 seconds, was exactly it? Yeah. I think Andrew Beasley's just actually yeah. tweeted it's less ridiculous. than the average for most of the, the wastage of times. But yeah, Liverpool really had to grind it out, dig deep. Yeah, they might have had to concede it a few fouls along the way, probably more than Klopp would have liked them to. No. Probably, probably more than they probably deserved as well. <laughs> I think the referee yeah. was a little bit uh, lenient towards, or fell a little bit for some of Brentford's tricks. That's part of the game, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, it's up to the referee to kind of pick it, pick up on it, and he just didn't. Colin, you know, describing Brentford as, as physical is not really, not trying to do them as the That's same. That's a, com- a compliment, I, in yeah, a way. I, I don't the... think... I don't. I'm not particularly too much of a snob in terms of the best way to to win a football match, but I do think that probably as physical as you can be for a Premier League team this, in mm. this day and age, if you like. You know, you mentioned Wimbledon there. Probably a little bit of, a, of an unfair comparison in, in terms of that. Well, way. I would like to point out it wasn't me that made that comparison. Yeah, no, I, was so I was surprised I, when I read it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit unfair because of of how different the, the football was in those days. But the along those lines of you know, really strong physical outfit. Uh, and they can play, but of course they can, but probably about as physical as, as it's possible for a team to be in, in the Premier League and not, you know, just sink like a like a stone. And they did have some good results. They drew at Arsenal, uh, I think February or March time, I think maybe in January now, thinking about it. But they won at Man City, City just before yeah. just yeah. before the uh, that was just the before the World Cup. Best. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it again underlines that there's no such thing as an easy game in the Premier League. And for Liverpool to get six wins in a row, it's such a key part of the season. A lot of that has been down to the return to form of one player in particular, that's Mohamed Salah. It seems every single time he goes out onto the pitch, he's set to break a record. And he's did it again on uh, he did it again on set on Saturday. He 
what was it, the 100th Anfield goal, the first Liverpool yep. player to score in nine consecutive home games, yep. only the third Liverpool player to score in eight consecutive home league games after Roger Hunt and Fernando Torres. And he's moved up to 186 goals for Liverpool, which is level with Steven Gerrard, who is in fifth, fifth. place overall. So. Yeah, and he's brought up 30 for the, for exactly, the season. Exactly, yeah. I forgot one. Four times in six seasons. Um, I mean, what more can you say about him? Klopp got asked about him again after the game, didn't he? And he obviously waxed lyrical, but I think he touched upon something when he said he perhaps doesn't get it, he's not as appreciated as he should be, and it's only going to be when he's, he's left. And mm. you're talking about him in 10, 15 years that you look back and think, you know, wow, what, what a player that this fellow was. Um, he's going to go down as, as one of the all-time greats alongside anyone you care to mention, you know, your Dalglishes, your Rushes, your, your Fowlers, your, whoever. He's going to be right up there, uh, your Gerrards, and he's going to deserve to be. I think he's 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 got all the personal numbers to go with it, and he's got the trophy hall as well, hasn't he? And, and he's only 30, and I think in this day and age, the way elite players can play, but even longer than normal, you know, you kind of used to look at retirement age, 32, 33. I think now it's probably closer to 35, 36. And the way he looks after himself as well means that he's going to be playing for for quite some time. And it's weird now to look back, isn't it, when you think early in the season when he was supposedly struggling and there were some question marks over the decision to give him that blockbuster contract. Um, they've all been made to look foolish. You compare it to some of those names there, we say it, an Owen or a Fowler or a Torres. They really only showed their best for what three, four seasons at Liverpool. Like obviously, all three had injuries. There's that stat that Salah's played what ninety-seven percent of the Premier League and Champions League games, and he's just done it for so consistently now for like six seasons in a row. Another one is well, he's hit 90, 19 goals in the Premier League. Yeah, again, I know that's a, a weird number, but it seems to be the benchmark because that was Michael Owen's career yeah. best. Yeah, like he's going to get twenty, isn't he, before the season's out? Um, he's got what two years left on his contract. Whether he gets an extension or not beyond that, we'll see. I suppose he has to still be delivering these goals and these assists. But he, he could be aiming for that 250-goal mark for Liverpool before he's done easily. Maybe the, the top two is beyond him, but he should be coming in behind Rush and Roger Hunt if he's still returning these goals at this electric rate until the end of his Reds career. I mean, Van Dijk said exactly the same thing after the game. He stopped in the mix zone and he said that, um, he said that you know maybe he's only going to get the respect that he merits at the end of his career and he didn't mm. say that's not just Sally he said that's probably just for every single footballer just the way things are at the moment yeah. because we know we know you know we know from social media one person has a, has a good game for two you know two weeks and suddenly they're the best thing ever and someone has a bad game and it's like selling I mean that, that's never really been any difference but it just seems to be a bit more emphasised or, or you know or, or brought to light because people just use social media all the time these days but but for Salah what I think has also been interesting is that he's now playing in a completely different Liverpool front line to the one that he joined. And of course, mm-hmm. it was Firmino and it was Mane and that was it for like three, maybe four years. And, you know, Diaz came in last year, Jota came in the year before. Diaz perhaps just kind of got into that team and then got injured straight away. Nunes is coming as well. Now there's Gakpo as well. And if Liverpool were going to start next season with those, you know, I think with those four, is it five or four? I can't remember. Five. No, it's five, it's five of them, yeah, five, because Firmino's going. So with those five frontline forwards, Salah is the first one still on the team sheets. And then you're looking at, certainly on form at the moment, Gakpo down the middle and mm-hmm. Diaz on the left. But the point is, is that Nunes and Jota, they can both do jobs in those two positions, the left and the centre, but no one's looking at like nudging Salah out the team, are they? No, I think, you know, you look back at the, the kind of forwards who Salah's been with at Liverpool, 
There's always been a clearly defined front three, hasn't there? <coughs> Salah on the right, Firmino down the middle, Mane off the left. And then you've you've had the likes of a kind of injury-prone Daniel Sturridge, um, Dominic Solanke, Shikeri, Minamino, Origi. All these players who have always been happy to be the backups and the deputies and the, there's always been that drop-off, haven't there? And that's always been a big kind of criticism of, of Liverpool that they haven't had the depth. Now I'm, I'm looking at it and you're thinking, aside from Salah on that right, you can play a horses-for-courses approach next season, whether that's Gakpo through the middle, Nunes off the left, Chata down the middle, Diaz off the left. And there's so many options and I don't think there is a clearly defined front three. Now I think every player has just got to kind of do the business in training and give Klopp something to think about on a game-to-game basis. And, and I think that ultimately will only help Liverpool going forward. Um, and then you've got maybe the likes of Ben Doak, who, who can play in the odd cup game, or seeing Harvey Elliott can still play on the right, can't he? So I think Liverpool's forward options, even though they are losing for me now, and it doesn't appear to be like they're going to be bringing anyone in, I think... They don't really need to, though, do they? Yeah, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's it's going to be an exciting time. And I think, you know, looking at that Manchester United game, that was a... Kind of look into the future, wasn't it? Where Nunes, Gakpo, and Salah all scored two each, and you know, Firmino wasn't even uh, Diaz wasn't even involved. So um, yeah, I think going forward, that's something that can help Liverpool with the benefits of a full pre-season, and then um, it could all look to, um, really take off next season. You didn't even mention Carvalho either, there. Well, yeah, and exactly. Yeah. That shows you've still got uh, Gordon if you can shake off yeah. this pelvic injury. Well, he's not. He hasn't played for. It'll be interesting next year because say they finish fifth, Europa League, you'd imagine Salah's not playing those games. It's going to be... He'd want to though. He'd want to, but you'd imagine that's when you really see Harvey Elliott on the right where he goes for one of the younger players. But you've still got the the threat of AFCON. That's looming next January. So it's going to be another few weeks where Salah's not playing. They're Don't going ruin to... it for us. <laughs> Can we just get the season out of the way first? Yeah, exactly. You just yeah. said that it's not a clear front three. Mm. And I'm backing that up. It's yeah, just yeah. as well. They need it to not be. Like, I know Clock keeps saying... And they're losing Ox, the to be fair, they're losing Ox as well. Who, yeah. who, to be fair to him, he has done an OK job when he's had to come in yeah. the right. He did it last season and he scored against Brentford away. Mm. He didn't have many performances this season, but that was one. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Somebody else who celebrated a landmark against Brentford, who also got up to 100, and that was Alison Beck with 100 clean sheets for as a Liverpool player. I think it was in 200 and something, 236 or something like that. I think there's, there's only four or five goalkeepers who've kept more clean sheets for Liverpool. Uh, next one on the list is David James, 102, so you'd like to think he's going to go above <laughs> that. Could he possibly do that this season? But he's been Liverpool's player of the season, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Like He's been so consistent. There's a Klopp joking with him saying he probably made 100 life-saving saves this season Alisson replied probably more uh, you know, he has made a couple of mistakes this year but you compare that to the mistakes say David De Gea is making and there's so much scrutiny on De Gea whereas Alisson he's still Liverpool's best player this season by far he is the reason that they are within that Champions League contention best and goalkeeper in the Premier League best goalkeeper in Europe best goalkeeper in the world yeah probably I'd go that far Ghosty uh I'd have to have a think about that, but I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's, who's been... There's been a, there's been quite a big shout for... I've forgotten his name. The AC Milan goalkeeper. His first name is Mike Mignon, is it? Mignon? No, right, yeah. Mike, yeah, him. Really, there's been really a big shout for him. Uh, saves penalties. Yeah, save one against save Salah. Save, save one from... Not Giroud, he scored one. Who did he save one from? Uh, the uh, Napoli guy with a very long name. Yeah, yeah, save one at the Champions League. He's won. I mean, there's obviously always Courtois. Edison. But after that... Or black at Atletico Madrid. 
Yeah, still get so the Palace. Well, exactly, exactly. That's the whole point. I mean, these goalkeepers are decent, are good goalkeepers. Some of them are actually great goalkeepers, but Allison's probably better than than all of them. And it's very rare for Liverpool to have players, even when they were winning stuff, to be like the best in the world in their position. And Van Dijk's been that in the past. Salah for a spell. You don't. Uh, you have to. I was probably well, the best um, player in the world. Guardiola had this little mind, didn't he? It's like, why aren't Liverpool doing better when they've got the best goalkeeper in the world, the best right back, the best left back, the best centre back, and the best forwards? Well, we know why. We've been. You should listen to our podcast. You, you, you know. Come on, come on, Pep. You've not got anything else to do. You know. You, you certainly. You, you might not. You might have a free weekend at, uh, in June if things don't go so well against Real Madrid. Uh, but going back to Alisson, the complication of that, of course, is that Liverpool's other goalkeepers don't really get a look in. Adrian's not played this season, has he? Community Shield. Oh, Community Shield, sorry, yeah. He's not he played in the Community Shield. And Keller has only played twice or three times? He played against City in the Cup, didn't he? Um, um, Derby. played against Derby, Derby and FA Cup against Wolves, so that's three games. Uh, Four? He, did, did he... He didn't re- play in the other one, did he? He didn't play in the other didn't one, he? no, no, no. So, basically, they're the only three games he's played since he scored the... Well, what turned out to be the winning penalty in the League Cup, which is, what, 15 months ago now? 14, 15 months ago? So there's been some stories this, certainly of late, of interest from other clubs. Uh, Liverpool haven't heard anything directly yet, but you, you would think that he could be somebody who play, uh, to other teams will want to sign. Liverpool haven't got a price tag on him yet, but we just, you know, you're looking at it, 20, 25 million, I think, which for a reserve goalkeeper is quite a lot. But this is a reserve goalkeeper who's won competitions for Liverpool, played in... Wembley finals he plays for the Republic of Ireland mm. you know and he's somebody who in probably almost every other Premier League team there's probably maybe two or three that he wouldn't he would just walk straight into it wouldn't he yeah he would so compare it to the, his compatriot was it Gavin Bazanu I'm not, mm. probably not pronounced that right but the one who went to Southampton City I think that was like 15 million yeah he's played was it that more, much was it I yeah. think it was around that he's played more football but it's been in the lower leagues mm. obviously never played in the Premier League for City I think he was first choice for Ireland because he's had that more game time. But Kelleher has certainly delivered at that higher level. He's played in the Champions League. And if it wasn't for the fact that Liverpool's the best goalkeeper in the world, Kelleher would be first choice for Liverpool. It's only because Alisson is at that age. It's like, yeah, you probably need to go and play elsewhere. Like if Alisson was in his mid-30s now, you'd say, yeah, we're going to be making this change now. Mm. You don't want to be in a situation like United were in last year with De Gea and Henderson when they had that nasty spat, Henderson basically said yeah let me go and now they've got him on loan it's like well, what is he going to do with De Gea's contract expiring Henderson's obviously a bit annoyed that they didn't play him more that he turned to De Gea uh, it's going to be very difficult to replace him if he, he does move on but he's another one of these players that has never had a bad word to say about not playing every week for Liverpool he's been a really valued member of that squad he's won trophies and you want him to go and be first choice elsewhere you think it's Tottenham were being linked with him Brighton, yeah, Brentford, Brentford, Brentford yeah. these are some big names as well. I think Aston Villa maybe. If Mar- when there were rumours of Martinez not seeing eye to eye with Emery, I think like Celtic have been linked with him. Some big teams here, and it does seem like there's going to be a bit of a goalkeeper merry-go-round this summer. You think uh, David De Gea, like I said, is out of contract. Hugo Lloris might be out of contract. Chelsea have got question marks over their goalkeepers. Uh, David Rea at Brentford I think he's only got a year left on his contract and they're re- resigned to him moving on you're trying to get him a move to Liverpool aren't you nah it costs too much to be Liverpool's number two <laughs> but yeah there's so many goalkeepers that could be on the move uh, it'll be interesting to see who ends up where and where that leaves Kelleher just funny then just before you talk about Alisson <laughs> you said then about Kelleher's not had a bad word to say about the, the setup and fact he's not been playing Arthur Mello came out this week yeah. and he said something basically similar how much he's enjoyed training with Liverpool and working with Jurgen Klopp and this is a player who's played 
13 minutes for the first team and had a things had a couple of appearances for the in Premier League two and he's had that one game in the in the Papa John's Trophy at, at Rochdale which which I was at and he got subbed for Jay Spearing which was <laughs> one of the most surreal of a, a very strange season that was right up there with yeah, the most yeah. surreal moments yeah I, I don't know I don't know what Klopp does it actually I suppose it's testament to his, to one of his strings to his bow as a manager but when players are players are on the periphery and they're not getting the game time that much they, they never seem to talk out of line or speak badly about him and. I always remember, I think it was, was it possibly Kevin Prince Broteng when, when he was at Dortmund for a bit, where he was saying players who hadn't played for months just couldn't wait to get into training because they thought, I'm going to show the manager this week what I can do. And, and they, they, they'd be loving life at the training ground and the atmosphere around it all. And then the following week, they, they were in the team or the squad, and then they come to train again with that same. But you know, none of them seemed to get disappointed at the I fact suppose, that they weren't playing. That's a little bit like any workplace where. It, if it's a good atmosphere and a good environment, if you're perhaps not as involved as you perhaps you should be or doing the, the kind of thing that you want to do, if you, you can still turn up and really enjoy being around other people. And I thought, and, and especially with football, is that at Liverpool at the moment, you're still training with, as, as Pep yeah. would say, you, you're playing all the <laughs> the best goalkeeper in the world, best left-back in yeah. the world, you know, ever. So, so there is that. So you know, even if you're not getting in the team, it's not like it's a massive slight on you. And, you know, and, and Arthur was quite straightforward what he said he says yeah I was I was responding to a problem that they had which they now situations change where that problem is completely different so that's why I'm not playing and of course he missed six months to being injured yeah. but as you said so it's, he's possibly the ultimate example of if he's saying that and this is somebody who came in isn't officially a Liverpool player is coming on loan he's not played he probably knows he's never going to play and yet he speaks so highly yeah. of, of, of he has there's no reason for him to say it just for saying it's safe. Yeah, 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 no, exactly, yeah, I mean, as I say, that, that's testament to how Klopp works, I guess, that every player feels like they're, they're included and they're, they're only a couple of decent training sessions away from forcing their way back into the plans. Um, just just hasn't worked for him, has it? Um, not really his fault. That is down more to the problems across the summer at Liverpool, but uh, just going, going back to Kelleher, just one of the things I, w- I wanted to mention is I, I'd kind of liken that to a Nico Williams situation where... <clears throat> you know, he was never going to break into the team long term, but Liverpool can point to the fact that he was a Wales international who played 25, 30 times for one of the best Liverpool teams in modern memory. And they could demand the fee as a, as a result of, of all that. And I think it will apply to Kelleher, really. You know, like you mentioned earlier, the, um, the Wembley appearances, the fact that he was a Carabao Cup hero, he's never made a mistake. A glaring mistake as, as far as I can remember when watching him. He was very good at his game uh, against Villa. That's five nil. Yeah, that was very early on when he was a kid. He's yeah. very good with the ball at his feet as well, yeah. which is another <clears> reason why Liverpool were quite happy to promote him. And obviously, as a goalkeeper, he's sound as well. So yeah, I had a chance to speak to him a few times. Well, a couple of times this season, and he's very laid back, very kind of almost. Like he he just he just wouldn't think he was a an elite level <clears> footballer. Just kind of how laid back he is about everything, but. One of the things he said after the City game and the Carabao Cup was he'd essentially might assess his options this summer. And I think if he did, don't think anyone would have a bad way to say whether you'd, you know, if they give him a pat on the back and, and out he'd go with the best wishes of everyone, given that what, what he's done for Liverpool over the last 18 months. If it wasn't for Alisson, he'd probably be playing. If any other, almost any other goalkeeper Liverpool had, then he'd probably be playing more often. Uh, just moving away from players leaving to possibly a member of the backroom staff joining and that is and I'm going to try and pronounce this <laughs> Hall Schmatke are we saying? 
It's funny because when it when that name came out, Telegraph did the first did the story. We checked it out, and he's like, he's a, he's somebody who's certainly in the frame for this this the job of sporting director. That I didn't recognize the name, but then as soon as I saw the picture, I was like, oh, I know who you are. You know, I'd seen him around, not around like oh, he's been in the office, Saint yeah, Saint in Saint Helens, yeah, <laughs> seen him in the Costa, yeah, on the retail <laughs> park. Um, no, but you know, I recognized him from, and he, and then looking at his history, he's obviously done well. What's quite interesting is that he's done well working at clubs that have had quite a tight budget. I know Liverpool have anything like, you know where this is going, mm. and then like a tight budget, say somebody like Wolfsburg or, or Cologne, I think he was at. Um, Hanover. Hanover. And it wasn't, and it wasn't Hamburg, because I saw that some, he had talked with Hamburg, but he didn't take over there. But Liverpool have more money, but they do have the restraints that perhaps, say, a Man- Manchester City and, and Newcastle and, to, and Chelsea, and to a lesser extent, well, possibly that would be different by the time the, the summer comes around Manchester United. But... It seemed to be greeted with a bit of indifference from some supporters, but then it's like who you know who knew who Michael Edwards was before he became yeah, an analyst at I Liverpool think, and then he got promoted. It's it's the whole thing going back to the whole social media thing now. Mm. Everybody's in, everybody's always been interested in everything, but the fact that there's so this like vacuum to fill that people who in the back room who you never really heard of have taken all these personalities without you know how many times did Michael Edwards talk to the press? Never once. He did the open letter, didn't he? Well, I think he yeah. wasn't talking to yeah, us, though, yeah. was it? You know what I mean? You see him around, but he'd never ever speak to us. So you never got a chance to get to know him. Like, and, and, I saw him dancing on a stage. In the same. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I saw him dancing in front of a stage. Oh, did you see him dance from the stage? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that we was were, in Paris. We yeah, we yeah. But he'd already announced he was going by then. Mm. And he even said, you know, he informally said, yeah. like, I'm having a holiday. So, you know, he never really. You never got to know the person. But people just make these judgments straight away on. on, on at the time, just what they look like. Yeah, I think it, I think it's, it speaks more to the um, rising profile of the sport and director role, really. Which, of course, in, in in England, it's been a thing in Europe and, and yeah, other, yeah. other you know parts of the world for years and years and years and years. But in England, the last 10, 15 years, it's only become prominent. And yeah, I think and I think Camoli was the first one for Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think you can look at you can look at. I mean, it's difficult to, to judge a sport and director because you can look at managers and, and you immediately look at what they've won or. If they're at, you know, a kind of low-profile club, how they steadied the ship or built them up or whatever else, and, and you can look at players and you, you can look at their stats and what they've achieved and whatever. But with sporting directors, it's a lot. There, there are more variables. How do you judge a sporting director? No one really knows what the role is. I think fans boil it down to what players do they bring to the club, and essentially that that's the kind of agricultural way of looking at it. Um, but it's essentially what fans will. Want to see, won't he? Uh, so this George Schmacker, I'm not too familiar on the players that he's brought in to, to whatever clubs, but Liverpool will, will have done the homework. If they're in talks with him, they will know that he is someone who can be quite a uh, tough negotiator and, and someone who's going to be proactive and aggressive in the pursuit of players and get what they need to do over the line. And it's, it's also worth mentioning that it's not going to be for this summer, is it? No, Liverpool's work now is, is very much still under the, the Julian Ward banner who's going to be leaving the club in the summer um, so it'll very much be a soft launch into the role should he come in in June and then he's going to be looking at what perhaps could be done in January and beyond so he's got time to get his feet under the table and you know get to know everyone and, and how it all works but 
everything I've read about him seems like a bit of an interesting character who <laughs> doesn't really take too many prisoners. Soft launch, there's a phrase I bet you never ever thought you'd ever say when you were <laughs> when you're at journalism school. Oh, I want to write about football, let's talk about soft, soft launch. launch. Yeah. It'll be um, interesting to see um, if we hear more from him. Because obviously the Germans are a bit more outspoken, aren't they? I have already thought well, the that, thing yeah. is, that's it's a very really interesting point, yeah. Because basically, go back to what I was just saying, then, yeah, you're right. Because they have, they're so used to it that they're more prominent. To be fair, was, was Ralph Ragnick, he was never really the sporting director at United, was he? Or was he and he took over the no, manager? No, he, he, he was meant to be. Yeah. He was meant to kind of shuffle upstairs once a season as manager yeah. to come to an end, but it went that badly they just decided to get rid of him. <laughs> Sorry, Theo, you were saying? Yeah, it's always a silly one to judge them as well because you think it was a team picking the players it's not as though the sporting director yeah, has just yeah, gone I yeah. want this this and this yeah. not spoken to his manager not spoken to the scouts or anything yet they're the ones who are judged by it but they are the ones who claim the success or the failures like Camoli lost his job because of Jordan Henderson that's what was being said at the time but now he's claiming <coughs> Henderson is one of his successes you could have Roy Hodgson saying oh I wanted Luis Suarez he would have been one of mine We've seen how many times Brendan Rodgers come and say, oh, that was a transfer committee signing. I didn't want Thiago Alari, for example. Oh, I wanted X, Y and Z. Like They're all squabbling for the ownership, whereas when they had this new model, it's still a pretty similar model. They just got a new name for it, so it mm. wasn't that bad cloud of the transfer committee anymore. It was still more unified, wasn't it, with Klopp, where like this is working together, Ward, Edwards... But it's still a difficult one to judge. Like, how do you say who's a good sporting director if you're a fan on transfers? Like, you want someone who is unearthly and all messy, taking him from someone who's an absolute unknown and sold them for two hundred million. That is like the idea of the perfect sporting director, and it just doesn't exist. Like, this mm. myth of Michael Edwards came about because of the Coutinho deal, because Barcelona were daft enough to give Liverpool one hundred. Myth of Michael Edwards. <laughs> myth. Well, that's where it came from. From one hundred forty million. Is, like, how often is, does it, that a, is it a myth though? Maybe not. Is it a legend? A legend of Michael Edwards? A myth suggests it's not real. So it is a legend then. I mean, he was, he was very good at his job, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, we've got to hold our hands up in this situation and say <laughs> we played into that more than probably probably anyone across the course of his, you know, tenure. Well, again, again that goes back to putting his name in a headline. It suddenly, everybody wanted to read it mm. because he did gain that kind of reputation that, that, that's never well, really been well, seen because before. Because he was very low profile as well, wasn't he? Not much was known about him. And I, I remember being at... Um, wasn't necessarily him, but being at an event with Josh Williams and pointed that there's Michael Edwards there. He recognised Michael Edwards and said, "Oh no, that's Julian Ward next to him." And he was like, "Is that Julian Ward?" And and at the, at the time, he was going to be Liverpool's new sporting director, and you know, he, these people aren't instantly recognisable, are they? I saw Michael Edwards in Saint Helens, by the way. So there you go. There's a there's, there go, a, there's yeah. a little bit of a factoid <laughs> there for you. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. If you ever wanted to see Paul Ghost wearing a hard hat, you should have got yourself to Anfield <laughs> before the game on yeah. uh, on Saturday. Cause Where's got... YMCA tribute yeah. to that? <laughs> I don't know. You do. You sing a good Oasis, so I like to think you'd be you'd be able to hold the tune. Um, can you only do um, the one live, song? Can you only do the one song? Uh, maybe, Some might say that's like the only three, one you three can or do. Four, three or four. Three or four. Yeah, yeah limited range. That that would be a very good pod, and please write in and then request it because we do that one as well. Maybe um, we'll do that if we get in the top. If we get in the top yeah, four, you can do see that. me in a, in Woody's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yes, you were given a little bit of a tour around the nearly developed, mm. fully developed, I should say, Amphia Road end. Um, I mean, anybody who goes to Anfield have seen in the last couple of months, it's certainly shot up and it's getting towards near completion. But, you know, what's the latest? What's the, when are they expecting it to be done and what, what's going to be happening next? Yeah, so it remains, according to Liverpool, 
on on budget within budget and, and on course for the start of the season. But Liverpool have actually asked the Premier League to play their first game of the season away, just to give them an extra what seven or eight days. Or so just from an operational standpoint, to make sure that any you know kinks are ironed out. You've got a test event in the offing. They're not too sure how it's going to manifest, but it doesn't look like they're going to be having a pre-season friendly there at least. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely shot up, hasn't it? I remember there was there was about five weeks in between home games between United and Arsenal. Um, and I remember walking past Anfield for the Arsenal game thinking they've made a lot of progress on that during the last month. And speaking to, to people at the club on Saturday, they were saying last season when Liverpool played 30 home games, it was, it was problematic trying to find time to fit in progress because Liverpool were playing a lot of games essentially played 30 home games in a 63 game season this season's been a little bit easier especially with the international breaks and the World Cup they've been able to make progress on that a lot easier and yeah it's all on course uh, it's going to create around about 500 jobs uh, obviously an extra 7,000 seats take Hanfield up to 61,000 the most that's ever been in the Premier League era so um, yeah it's a uh, all on course, and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic when it finally opens. Yeah, Theo, you went to it last week, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> because we were unable to read an email properly. Yes. You turned up, and it was actually only this Saturday. Um, just one final before we talk about the before we talk about the final thing. Uh, just want yes or no because we, we we can't not talk about this. But all mm. I want is yes or no for these questions. Were you surprised by the reaction to the national anthem being played at Anfield on Saturday? Yes or no? No. No. Um, do you think Liverpool will put in a pretty impossible situation by the Premier League and pressure from the government? Yeah. Yes. Shall we never mention this ever again? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Right, uh, we'll finish them. I'd back. say that was the, 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 <laughs> loudest, the loudest noise of disapproval I've ever heard at Anfield. Are you sure? I yeah. thought Anthony Taylor managed to match well, yeah. it with his performance. Just about, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll finish them with been some interesting results in the Premier League over the last couple of days. Not just uh, Everton winning 5 1 at Brighton, which I think. I'm, I've always been convinced they're going to stay up, and now I'm absolutely convinced. I know that you two don't quite, don't quite. I, I need to get this out there because you know I'll either be looking stupid or I'll be very smug towards the end of the season. Yeah, and I mean you, you've been you've been staunchly behind Everton's chances all season. I mean I must admit I'm not quite as convinced as you. Maybe a little bit more after yesterday came from nowhere that didn't it? Um, but what it has done, of course, is that it's kind of not not brightened out of the top four. Um, conversation but it has made it very difficult for them now because they would literally have to win all of their games and then the teams above them which I think Tottenham, Liverpool, United and Manchester United that is and Newcastle would have to drop points but Liverpool are now only one point behind the top four they've got three games remaining Newcastle on 65 they've got five le- uh, sorry four left United on 63 have got four left and then Liverpool are on 62 last season I think uh, to- uh, Tottenham managed to overhaul a four-point gap over three games against Arsenal, or one of them, they had actually played Arsenal and beat them. The year before, Liverpool were three points off with the same amount of games going and ended up finishing third yeah. after Chelsea and, uh, and Leicester lost, both lost two of their last three games. Is it possible that Liverpool might do it again? Yeah, yeah. I, I see no, are you reason, sure? are you no, sure? no reason why. Are you sure? I mean, which, which team then is going to falter? Because you look at United, they've got four games against teams that aren't really playing for anything and three of them are home. And the one thing about United is that they're absolutely terrible away from home, but yeah. at home they're very good. Yeah, the, the, the home thing is, is is something Liverpool could do without, isn't it? I just, I don't know. I mean, I know Bournemouth, Bournemouth aren't bad at home, are they? They certainly improved. They give Chelsea a game on... Saturday beat Liverpool of course got to be 4-0 by West Ham yeah there is that um, 
Tom Solanke would do us a favour. I'm looking at Newcastle. They still need to drop another. They still need to drop. Newcastle's still going to play Brighton and Chelsea. And all, okay, you can't say well Chelsea being awful, but you know they've got Leeds and Leicester. Any, as any well. given day, yeah, Chelsea can. They're, they're the, t- the two games that Newcastle got are Leeds away and Leicester. Almost it the way round. Allardyce's first home game against his yeah. former club, who is sacked him prematurely. So we want to get one over them. And if Leeds are going to stay up, they need to win that. They need to get yeah. the points on the board. He'd have long memories. That was sixteen years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> He's a very bitter man, isn't he? Sam? <laughs> Elephant never forgets. <laughs> he still runs about Rafa every so often, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose you're right. Um, how old is he now? He's about 68, isn't he? He's quite old getting on now, isn't he? Oh, old Sam. Anyway, going back to the point, the top <laughs> four. So you still think, you genuinely think there's a chance? Well, I, I mean, how would you rate the, the probability, the possibility out of the whole results, 100%? Results this week have, have made me firmly believe again. I, I think I said to you last week, didn't I, Theo, it's, it's just a shame that it's, it's looking like it's done. Um, but with United losing at Brighton and then losing at West Ham, it's massively up the door again, hasn't it, for Liverpool? So, um, they, they don't need a lot. They just need United to stumble in one of those games because I firmly believe Liverpool are in, that, in a bit of rhythm now where they can go on and, and finish the season with nine points from nine. I, I still think it's maybe slightly too much. We need that next slip-up and then you can have the confidence to it because, say, United slip up against Bournemouth, a way horrid ball form continues and they win the three home games, that still gets them it by one point, doesn't it? Like If they finish level... Liverpool have the edge on head-to-head, they have the edge on goal difference, same against Newcastle, percent on the head-to-head, and goal difference is easy enough there to make back, but you needed a couple of slip-ups there. Like Liverpool, whether they create nerves, like Newcastle have still won eight of the last ten. You look when they lose to Aston Villa, they think, oh, maybe there's a chance, and then they just go and put in that amazing yeah. performance against Tottenham. Like losing to Arsenal, that's nothing you can really use as a, a proper drop-off of them. They still look strong, but they've got the tougher fixtures. It's like, when it's that's relegation time of the season and teams are fighting for the points, basically going to get another shock result. Like no one saw Everton doing enough poor favour and battering Brighton so emphatically, apart from you. Well, I, I didn't think they'd be five one. <laughs> I wasn't surprised they got something from the game. I also think though the last game of the season there's something to say for that when the pressure's on, they've played of handle left. Do you think that's interesting? I don't because think that, Newcastle know what know what that feels like. That's that's an interesting one because I think if Liverpool can take it to the last game, then it becomes unbelievably interesting. So they need yeah. they'd need United to not win one of the games, and they probably need Newcastle to not win two. Well, they would need Newcastle to not win two of them to have a chance going into that. So Liverpool take it to the last day. They got a great chance. You didn't answer my question, by the way. Out of a hundred percent, what percentage oh, sorry. probability do you think Liverpool have at the moment of getting through? As in, in your view, not the actual probability, because I can't be bothered doing the maths. 30? Nope, 30. Yeah, I'd say it's still favoured against them. Yeah, I was going for 25. I'm surprised. I thought you might say more from what you were saying. I will put out FA Cup final as well. No, I, I just, no, FA Cup finals. I just don't think that's a week after. I'll be, we'll be bothered about that. Distracted for Leicester, didn't it, a couple of years ago? Hang on, because Chelsea, that was literally what their third Champions League final ever, and Leicester had never won the FA Cup. You know, United have won more FA Cups than I think anyone part of Arsenal, is it? Or something yeah, but like they're, that. They're a struggling team. They haven't won many trophies in six years. They won the League Cup. I know, they literally, it's the one, the they literally won the last years. trophy you could possibly win, so they can't be struggling that much. Uh, right, I think that should, jo- uh, should do us. Um, Paul, how can we get to you on Twitter? What's your... At PT Ghost. Uh, Theo. At Theo Squires Echo. And I'm at Ian Doyle Sports. Uh, thank you for joining us. And you can also catch the podcast. And what does normally get said at the end of this? I've normally stopped listening by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify. Uh, wherever you, you get your podcast. Wherever you get yeah. your podcast. And also on our YouTube channel, which you can check out all the previous podcasts. And we will see you soon. Cheerio. 
You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.